Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we pray that you would be present uh, with us here this morning in the preaching of the word. I pray that uh, you would give us the words of life. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first reading this morning... uh, and our second reading this morning are both taken from uh, the letter of 1 John. We are continuing in this sermon series through, the, uh, through 1 John, but we've skipped a, a certain piece uh, of it. Uh, we will come back to the piece that I skipped over, but I wanted to pick up these two little pieces because they strike uh, the same theme. Our first reading this morning began this way. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, Morrison's fourth law of biblical interpretation says, always know who is speaking and who is being spoken to. In the pages of the Bible, we read, for example, the phrase, you belong to your father, the devil. But we also read, The Father has loved us so much that we're called the children of God. We misunderstand those passages if we don't understand who is speaking and who is being spoken to. So when we read, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, we have to ask, who is speaking and who is being spoken to? The author, as you all know, is the Apostle John, one of the twelve. He is speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he is speaking to the members of the churches that he oversees. Sometimes the Bible speaks to people who are not believers, and sometimes it speaks to believers. In this case, it's speaking to believers. The first letter of John is a letter from a bishop to the Christians who are in the churches that he supervises. This is a message from a Christian man in authority to other Christians who are under his authority. And so when he says to them, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, John is telling Christians, John is telling us, how we should treat other Christians. The passages that we are studying this morning are all about life inside of the church. There are other places in the Bible that talk about how Christians should be treating people who are not part of the church, people who are out in the world, but this morning we're focused on life in the church, 
This is all about how brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to live together. And John says, this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we are to love one another. So why does John say, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning? Well, probably because John is reminding them and reminding us of something that is not new. He's telling them stuff that they already know. He's saying to them, I know that you've already heard this before. This isn't the first time I've mentioned this. In fact, this is really basic. You've been hearing it from me from the very beginning. We should love one another. And why should John bother to write about something that they already know? It was no simple thing in his day to write a letter like this. It would have cost him money to have it uh, written down. It would have had to been multiplied, uh, and copied and multiplied a number of times to be sent to all of the churches that John supervised. Why go to all of the trouble to tell them something that they've already heard before? Well, because the important things are worth repeating. You don't tell your child or your spouse, I love you only one time and then never mention it again. The love that you have for your family is important and so it's worth repeating. It's also the case that the truths of the scriptures are so counterintuitive, so alien to everything that the world preaches. And yes, the world is very preachy. The truths of the gospel are so counterintuitive that we need to be reminded of them again and again and again. And then there is the reality that part of what scripture does, part of what preaching does, is encourage people to do the things they already know and believe. We call this exhortation. It's sort of like cheering at a football game. You say, push them back, push them back, way back. The linemen already know that. They don't need you to tell them that, but we exhort them anyway. Or it's like advertising. We already know that Coca-Cola is delicious, but the company never tires of telling us again and again. Why? So that we keep drinking the stuff. The same is true in preaching and in the scripture. The Bible reminds us again and again, preaching reminds us again and again of some of the basic truths that we learned long ago. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So how far back does this message go? This message that we as brothers and sisters in Christ are to love one another. When did that message begin? Well, it begins apparently at the Lord's Supper. A lot of things happened at the Lord's Supper. Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. There was the Passover meal that they shared. Jesus talks a long time during the Last Supper, he also has a long prayer that he prays uh, for his disciples and also for us, the people who would come to believe in Jesus through his disciples. And at the Last Supper, Jesus also gives what he calls a new commandment. Here's what we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 
34 and 35. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. And you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's where it all started. Jesus' parting speech to his little band of followers who would later become the pillars of the church against which the gates of hell will never stand. People will know that you're my disciples, Jesus says to them, if you love one another. A little later in this service, we will sing that familiar song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Maybe you think that's just a corny 1960s song, but that song speaks the God's honest truth and it's built on the solid rock of what Jesus said to his disciples the night before he was executed. Hey guys, love one another. And if you love one another, the people in the world will know that you're my disciple. So as we sing that song a little later, it needs to be our testimony that we should love one another. We sing that song to exhort ourselves, to exhort each other. Let's do what Jesus told us to do. Let's love each other. And then other people will know that we're Christians because we love each other. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what Jesus said. Okay, if we are to love one another as a sign to the world of who we are or, or of whose we are, and if this command to love one another is a command that we as the church have heard from the very beginning, that is to say that it's Christianity 101 and not advanced placement Christianity, if all of that is true, what will it look like and how will we go about doing it? Well, let's go back to the Last Supper. Here's what Jesus said. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. Uh-oh. Does Jesus really mean that? Or is he just speaking in hyperbole? Is Jesus really saying that I'm supposed to love my brothers and sisters in the church in a way that Christ loved me by actually laying down my life for them? I think there are a whole bunch of us who would say that we're willing to die for our families, for those that we love best. There are some of us who say that we, we would be willing to die for our country, which means so much to us. But here's the problem. We say that we're willing to lay down our lives for our families, but are we willing to lay down the remote for them as well? We say that we would die for our spouse, but are we willing to do the dishes for them? 
We can get all dramatic and talk about our willingness to die for someone or for some cause, but real life rarely requires us to go to the gallows. What real life and real love requires of us every day is that we lay down our lives in small increments and in small ways. Our lives are made up of a bunch of little moments. Our love for one another isn't proved by big and dramatic gestures. Our love for one another is built up day by day through small and ordinary things. The most important gift that we can give to anyone is the gift of our attention. We live in an attention deficit culture. And yet, What it is that we need most of all to give to other people is our attention. We need to give them our time. There are only a certain number of hours in our lives. If we say that we would give our lives for our family, what about giving them our afternoon? This afternoon, for example. Can we lay down our agendas, our desires? Can we give our time to the people that we say we love this afternoon? I think attention has become a rarer and a more valuable commodity as well. The world is constantly competing for our attentions. All of the media, particularly the media that we hold in our hands, is designed intentionally to keep you constantly distracted and what people need from us most of all is our attention we need to listen to people we need to enter their thoughts we need to understand their world and when we do that we actually give up a little bit of ourselves if I listen to you what I'm not doing is listening to myself if I'm really attending to what you're saying to me I'm entering your world where you are you've had the experience where you're in you think you're in a conversation But that other person is just listening to the point where you be quiet for a moment so that they can talk. That's not attention. We need to give people our time and and our attention. We need to enter their worlds. We need to die to ourselves for a few minutes, and that's what we're called to do as Christians, to die to ourselves for each other. One of the things Jesus did at the Last Supper was to pray for the church So, of course, he's uh, praying before Pentecost has come. He's got the 12 around the table with him. They're going to be, at least 11 of the 12 will be the pillars of the church. Uh, But he prays for those fellows, but he also prays for the people who would then become disciples because of the preaching of those people. We call this the high priestly prayer. Uh, And In that prayer, Jesus actually prays for us here in Huntington Valley. Here's part of what he said. This is uh, John chapter 17, verses 20 through 23. Jesus praying to his Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Love and unity are markers of the church. Love and unity are characteristics that distinguish the church from other human associations. Jesus tells us to love one another inside the church because the church is one. The church is an organic whole. It is unitary. It cannot be split up or broken into parts. Now, the truth is, Unity is complicated because all of us have our own ideas and our own experiences. All of us have our own preferences and our own taste. And those differences can pull us in different directions. And yet we are told that the unity and the love within the church will be a sign to the world that something else is going on here. The motto of the United States is E Pluribus Unum, which means out of many, one. I think it could be a motto of the church as well. Because the church is made up of all kinds of people, people who are very different and have come from different experiences, but who are in fact really one because they've been united to Christ and that they are grounded in the teaching of the apostles. If you look at the demographics of the people who come to this building on a Sunday morning, you would be surprised that they have shown up to the same place on the same day because they are young and they are old and they are white and they are black and they are Republican and they are Democrat and they've all chosen of their own free will to gather together and to be brothers and sisters. All of these people, in spite of their various differences, share one thing in common. They share the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are children of God. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. This year, Christmas falls on Sunday, which I think is wonderful. I guess it happens once every seven years. Christmas is that season that we like to get together. When young and old and white and black and Republican and Democrat get together and celebrate around the same table the coming of Jesus, somehow in that season, the differences which have us going in different directions during the rest of the year, somehow in that season we are able to come together. And so this week I'm going to be speaking with the session about the possibility of our two services during Advent and Christmas being joined together. On an average Sunday, about 100 people gather here for worship, but we do it in two different services, so we don't really get to see very much of each other. What if for the Sundays of Advent and Christmas we spent our time together? I think it would be a wonderful sign of unity, a sign to the world that those people at HVPC really do love each other, even though they have come from different places this Sunday morning. Jesus tells us to love one another in the way that he loved us. And the way that he loved us was by laying down his life for us. That means that as a church, 
we need to be daily laying down our lives for each other. Not in big and dramatic ways, but moment by moment in little ways. The Apostle Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit that grows up in the life of a Christian. This appears in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Paul writes, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It is crucifying the flesh with its passions and desires. That is precisely how it is that we lay down our lives for each other. There are things that we want. There are times when we want it our own way. And when we crucify those things, we say, you know what, we don't, we're not going to take that. We're going to rather give what is needed in the moment. And the result is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness and self-control. The things to which we in the church have been called. Christ loved us first and we love in response to him. We don't only love God, but we love one another. When we become followers of Christ, we also become grafted into the church. There are no independent Christians. Every Christian is a part of the body of Christ. We work out our salvation in the context of the community. God has given us each other to love one another. Let us pray. Father God, we honor you and we adore you and we thank you for showing up in our lives and we thank you for revealing your truth to us. Lord, we thank you for those people in our lives who have prayed for us and have spoken your truth into our lives in years past. We thank you for those who have raised us in the faith. We thank you for sending us your Holy Spirit so that the day came when we grabbed hold of the promise of the cross. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming into this world and living a perfect life and dying to take away our sins, we pray that you would continue to grow up in us the faith that we need to cling to that truth day by day. And Lord, having experienced the love that you have for us in laying down your life for us, we pray that we would be able to lay down our lives for one another, and that we would enjoy the, the fellowship of of the brotherhood here in this congregation. We pray that as we lay down our lives for one another that that would be a testimony and a witness to the world that something is different there, that something is going on among these followers of Christ, that they don't operate always selfishly, but they, that they do care for each other and they take care of one another. Father God, I pray that our lives and the attitudes of our heart would be... Uh, honoring to you and that they would bring glory to you. I pray that as we live out our lives, we would live them out in a fuller and a more rich awareness of, of what a great work that you accomplished on the cross. Lord, I pray that you would uh, increase in us an awareness of our own neediness and our own sinfulness and simultaneously that you would increase in us our estimation of your holiness and your graciousness. 
in the cross both the mercy and the justice of God meet and we pray that we would be found in the cross, that the requirements of the law would be met but that the grace of God would be shown to us. Lord, show us your grace more and more fully so that we might show that grace to one another. Equip us and enable us to receive others in in grace. May our hearts be open. May our doors be open. May our lips be open to sing your praises. We pray that in all that we say and in all of the attitudes of our hearts, uh, in all of our actions, that we would be living according to your will and according to your way and that we would bring glory to you for you alone are worthy. These things we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Amen.